0: for a couple of weeks now, we've been talking about chapter two. And chapter two is simply just a way of talking about what comes after Easter. We, we celebrated the resurrection a few weeks ago. And of course, in history, after Jesus uh, went to the cross on that Good Friday and was buried, he then rose victorious on that resurrection Sunday. And chapter two, came. That's where this, this title comes from. And what, what came with chapter two? And that's what we've been trying to talk about. And in a summary form, uh, chapter two simply means um, growing into Christ likeness. Uh, it means that God has given uh, to his people the church, the local church. And of course, every local church is part of the universal church. Um, and God has given to the local church certain habits or ordinances. Uh, that's what we uh, call specifically Uh, baptism, which we we looked at in depth last week, and we're going to practice and witness tonight. Next Sunday, uh, as is our tradition on the first Sunday of the month, we will celebrate together the habit or ordinance of the Lord's Supper, communion. These these ordinances, these gifts, these habits, God gave them to us, gave them to the church, and they're wonderful, and we need to celebrate them and understand them, and and that comes as part of chapter 2. Uh, And then today, um, we're going to kind of split the ordinances, if you will. Baptism sermon was last week, and then communion sermon next week. And today, we're circling back to the local church, And, and the local church is God's gift to his people, right? To be a Christian is to be a part of the church, that's by definition what it means. The word church means an assembly. And so we are um, an assembly. We are a local one, and, and we've actually gathered right now. We will scatter later, and uh, and it's a good thing. Like Lori prayed, though, earlier and acknowledged, um, we get hurt in the local church, because the local church isn't perfect. If you ever find a local church, uh, you better leave because as soon as you get there, it's not perfect anymore, as the joke goes. There is, there is no perfect local church because we're sinners, we're, we fall short. But by God's grace, we, we at SOMA, we are trying to live in, in light of God's word and what he says and, and to be a church that is living um, out of what his word says to us. Uh, but it's a good thing. The local church is an amazing thing. And so today we want to consider the, the church. And and again, there's any number of ways uh, we can look at things, but I want to circle to a passage. I'll read it in a moment. And we're going to consider that as Christians, as members of a local church, we grow together. And remember that's that's the point, right? God didn't save us with Easter and then take us to heaven. He's saving us. Not 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 you know, our once and for all being justified, being forgiven, that's, that's a done thing. The moment we say yes to God's work of sending Jesus to live the life we can't live and, and die to forgive us, that, that, when we respond to that, we are saved, we are justified, we are adopted, we are forgiven, and it's, it's sealed. Jesus won't lose any of us. He promised that. We, we not not be a Christian if he saved us. He's got us. We are now being saved, as the Bible speaks of, or becoming more like Christ, progressive sanctification, progressive holiness, and and that is what he's doing in our lives. And one of the ways we grow into further Christ-likeness is from one another, from being in the local church, and specifically from the examples of one another and from from this book, from the Bible. Um, we, we, we cannot mature alone. You know, maybe a little. I mean we can we can learn a lot and there can be a lot that happens inside, but but to be a part of the Soma, which means body, is to to be dependent on one another. And we need one another. We we really do. I mean if you just think about our bodies um, right? Uh, biceps are often one of those muscles that people want to uh, get stronger and, and have guns, so to speak, right? Um, our, our guns need the rest of our body, right? Uh, hands need to pick up dumbbells and, and you know, like it's, the, the bicep couldn't just like say, ah, oh, I don't need you. I'm just going to go over there and, and get strong on my own, right? That's a ridiculous concept, that, that metaphor of being the body of Christ, the Soma, Jesus is the head, he's, he's the brains, he's the, in charge, and we are all the members. We, we need one another in order to grow into Christlikeness. And, and we learn from one another and the example of one another. And again, from, from this book. So this morning, we're going to look at the, the need or the necessity. I'm going to use the word necessity. The necessity of examples in our life and second, the necessity of the scriptures in our life. If we are to grow into likeness here in chapter two, after the celebratory work of the gospel coming to fruition, most explicitly in Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, ascension in the church, local, part of the universal, if we are to grow, we need the scriptures. They're, they're necessary, and the word of God is necessary as well. So If you brought a Bible, and I hope you did, whether it's paper like this or digital, please turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is toward the end of your New Testament. I was reminding the overview of the Bible class that I was teaching. 2 Timothy is the last thing the Apostle Paul wrote. We've got 13 letters from the Apostle Paul. Romans, the big one, which we're going to, Lord willing, start looking at this fall and spend, it'll be a couple of years probably in Romans. Uh, it's amazing and we're going to get to it. But 2 Timothy, um, toward the end, but it's it's the last thing Paul wrote. And and if you just think about that, um, the words of a dying man writing, he, he wanted to make sure, not only for Timothy's sake, who he was writing to, but... To all of us who would read it, I think he he had some awareness that Timothy would share it. And then, of course, God intended the church would hear this. Um, These are important words. If you knew, and Paul did, he was in his final imprisonment in a hole in Rome. He knew that his life was about to be over. And therefore, what he wrote were important words. And and that should just help us as we go, well, this, this is pretty important. And I, I mentioned, you know, Romans 5.8, if you need a verse to memorize, do it. If you need a book of the Bible to read, if it's been a while, if you're not sure, you know, spend some time in Second Timothy and, and just let that reality, that, that this is Paul's final words, probably literally days and weeks before uh, his execution, um, it's, it's pretty big. So Second Timothy, I'm going to read chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God, the person of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. The first thing the Apostle Paul does in this section that I read is speak of the necessity of examples in our life, the need we have for examples in our life. At at verse 10, he begins with a strong, sharp contrast. In in English, uh, two words, you, Timothy, you, however... And he's going to say that again in verse 14. We don't catch it in, with the English translation, but the but same two words in the Greek are used there at verse 10, there at, for, at verse 14. Two little words, but are very big in terms of their meaning in the context. You see, it's a contrast to verses 1 to 9, and we're not making our way through 2 Timothy, but um, in, in verses 1 to 9, Paul has written to Timothy about the decline in morals, the empty show of religion, the spread of false doctrine and false teaching that Timothy has to deal with. Um, So in contrast to all that, he says, but you, but you. Okay, he's he's wanting to make this major contrast in his encouragement to Timothy. And in fact, he's gonna start by speaking of the necessity of, of examples for Timothy. And so we start to think, well, that must mean there's a necessity that we have for examples. Um, look at verse 10. You, however, you have followed, uh, the NIV says, you know all about. The idea is uh, to, be, to make an extensive effort to learn the details and truth about something. Um, to have followed, to, to know all about is to make a concerted effort to trace, to investigate, to be diligently checking out something. And, and notice what Paul says, Timothy, you have known all about, you've, you've done your work in my teaching, in my conduct or my way of life, in my aim or my purpose in life. Timothy, you've, you've, uh, you've known all about my faith, my, my trust in God, you're aware. You've you've investigated. You've followed my patience, my my love, my my steadfastness, or the endurance with which I'm living. Just just think about that. He says, Timothy, you you however, you've been a student of me, and, and so what he's saying is, um, I've been an example to you, and you've you've been watching all these different. Uh, we could call them positive things. You've you've been watching. You've been learning. You see, the truth is. What Paul's implying in all this is, is that much of our Christian growth comes through the example of others, through the imitation of others. Now, there's a sense in which I want to go, no, please. <laughs> I don't want that. I don't want to be an example to anybody. It's hard enough trying to be an example to my kids, my family. I don't want that to be the case, but much of our Christian growth comes through Imitating others through the example of others. Listen to several verses. Philippians chapter three, verse 17. Brothers, sisters, join in imitating me, Paul writes, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have. Sounds like there's a need for examples. And in and Imitating others. Philippians 4.9, next chapter in Philippians. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. First Corinthians 11, verse one. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. How many of you have ever written that in a card to someone? <laughs> no. And yet, Paul, and he wasn't puffed up. He referred to himself as the chief sinner, chief of all sinners, the least of all saints. But as, as he followed Christ, he said, I'm an example, be an imitator of me. Or 2 Thessalonians 3, 8 and 9. He says, nor do we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. Or 1 Timothy, the first letter he wrote to young Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.12. I loved this verse when I was a young Christian in high school. If you are a teenager or a soon-to-be teenager, even if you're in your 20s, this is a great verse. And some of you in your 30s, you might still like it too. 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one despise you for your youth but set the believers an example. Teenagers in the room, you can be an example to us older people. And we're all commanded to, but this verse, like your youth, in your youth, be an example in how you talk. Wouldn't that be great if we all learned how to talk more like Jesus by the teenagers in our church? That'd be awesome. Awesome. And we could learn a lot, honestly, from the younger ones, the little ones. Be an example in your speech, your conduct, and how you love, in your faith, in in your your purity, your, your personal holiness, sanctification, living a pure life. Be an example. Or a few verses later, practice these things, Paul writes. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Persist not only in what you believe, but in how you live. Uh, Hebrews 13, verse seven. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Or First Peter 5, three, do Uh, Don't, this is written to elders, um, don't domineer over those in your charge, but be an example to the flock, to the church. Pastor Elder Jim and I, that's ours. (laughs) You get the point. The necessity, the need of examples. We are not only to have them, but we're to be them. Timothy had a need for the example of the Apostle Paul. Someone who was older in the faith, yes, um, and we have that too. And again, Paul wasn't perfect, um, but he knew that as he was a saint who sinned, uh, and yet as he followed Christ, and even in that, he modeled repentance, he modeled all those things, and he said, Timothy, follow me. And he said, you've you've known, you've, you've investigated me um, in these things. Um, he was an example. Uh, but jump down to verse 14 and 15 for a moment, because it wasn't just Paul who Timothy had as an example. He writes... In verse 14, but you, as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed. So that's speaking of his doctrine and his teaching. But notice the end here, verse 14 and the first part of 15. Knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. So Paul, um, in chapter 1, spoke of Timothy uh, in, his, in his childhood. But here he says... Timothy, um, you, you need to remember knowing from whom you learned all this. And, and what we learned from 2 Timothy, from First Timothy, the, Timothy had an amazing mom and an amazing grandma. And they were examples to him. I love this comment by uh, one pastor. The point is not that nice mothers and grandmothers don't make mistakes. So if you're a nice mother or grandmother... You don't have to be perfect. No, the point is that they were an example. They were an example. Timothy had them in his life early on. And and Paul says, remember them, whom you learned all this from. And then of course, you've been following me. The necessity of examples. God has made us all for this. Timothy had his grandparents, his grandmother, his mother, he had Paul. Who has God put in your life? Who is an example in your life? If you can identify them, let me just encourage you. Thank God for them. Tell God how thankful you are. Maybe this week, encourage them, tell them that they're an example. Write them a note, send them a text, give them a phone call. Um, Let them know, hey, you've been an example to me and I'm thankful. Um, Now again, there's the flip side of this. Not only do we need examples, not only is there the necessity we have to see how to live the Christian life but that's us too. We need to be examples. And again, that doesn't mean perfection. It means we walk humbly with our God. We, we are the first to confess our sins and say sorry and to point to the one in whom we are trusting. Um, who is it in your life that you're to be an example to? I, I wanna just highlight for a minute two people in our church, and there's many more, but um, I love that... Uh, our own Chris Allen here and um, Dennis Osset uh, spend a weekly time together um, and they are studying the scriptures together. Um, Dennis picks Chris up for events and, and others of you do as well, uh, but, but they hang out and they're talking about what the Bible has to say about the end times and what's gonna happen and Chris is learning and, and, and they just get to do life together. And I know, Chris, that you're not only learning from what you and Dennis are studying, but you 're learning from dennis 's example and Dennis, i know you 're learning from chris 's example too, as you hear his heart and it 's just a beautiful picture, and there 's so many others, and so um, a lot of it happens sort of organically, unintentionally, but there 's a place to to be deliberate too. you know maybe a couple of you should decide to read Second Timothy together this week and talk about it. Maybe some of you should decide to hey, let's take up Paul's idea to do Romans 5.8 and, and let's memorize it. Maybe um, some of you need to get together over lunch uh, and hang out and, and pray for each other. Maybe you need to go for a walk together on a Saturday. Take the kids. Maybe uh, a couple of couples need to have a date night together once a month and talk about the struggles of marriage, the challenges that come, um, that, and yet the grace that God has there and the need everyone has, and, and on and on and on. We could think of examples. We see in this text the necessity of examples. And, and Paul says, Timothy, you followed, you've followed, you've looked at um, these things. And he, he spoke first there about the, the good things, right? But look at verse 11 now. So back up to verse 11. He says, not only have you followed those good things in 10, but you have followed, verse 11, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. The persecutions I endured, yet from all of them, the Lord rescued me. These were cities that the Apostle Paul visited Um, on his first missionary journey recorded in Acts chapters 13 and 14. Um, You know, it's kind of fascinating to think about uh, this. Um, Timothy didn't join him until Acts chapter 16, the second missionary journey. Uh, That's the trip when Paul would come to Timothy's hometown of Lystra, Acts 16, and where they uh, would have met uh, and and so on, and and where Timothy would have begun to learn about that first journey. Um, So Timothy would have known from his earliest awareness that Paul had suffered and had been through some things. Uh, we don't have a lot of time, but let me just reference each of these cities that he mentions to Timothy from the book of Acts. And so the account, Antioch then first, in Acts 13, 45 and 50. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Can you imagine You're you're sharing and all of a sudden this group raises up to contradict what you've just said, kind of hostile, right? And then verse 50, but the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Pretty intense. Uh, Iconium, beginning of Acts 14, Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue. That was always what Paul did first when he came to a town. He would look for where there were uh, Jewish people gathered, and he would share from the scriptures, from the Hebrew scriptures, that Jesus is the promised one, and, and he is the fulfillment. So he finds the Jewish synagogue. He speaks in a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks who were there believed. Pretty cool, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers and sisters. Verse five, when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, like, let's kill this guy. <laughs> so again, uh, quite, quite an intense uh, persecution and suffering, right? Or then Lystra, the third city, he mentions to Timothy. Acts 14, verse six and verse 19, they learned of it, fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lycanesia and to the surrounding country. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. They kind of followed him. Having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. I mean, how beat up must he have been to suppose he was dead? Pretty, pretty beat up. And so again, that's the context that Paul says, Timothy, you followed my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me. Like, you know all about this. And yet Paul says, the Lord rescued me, verse 11. Paul knew the truth of Psalm 34, 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Think about what that Psalm meant to Paul so Paul says, Timothy, you've followed all this, but, but listen, he, he, I'm telling you all this because now verses 12 and 13. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All evil people and imposters go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Um, Timothy, this is what happened to me. You've studied it, you've followed it. God delivered me, but I'm telling you, if you desire to live a godly life and I'm an example to you, this is what's waiting for you, Timothy. Now, we, we may not have to worry about having rocks thrown at us so hard that people will suppose we're dead. Probably not this week. The time might come, right? And there are parts of the world where to stand up and to sit in a gathering like this and to say, This is the Word of God, could bring in authorities and could bring persecution. It happens in other parts of the world. We have enjoyed a home field advantage of sorts as Christians in our country for 300 years or so before we were a country officially, but less and less and less. The longer uh, time goes on, the more we are ridiculed if we believe that this is the word of God, the more we're ridiculed if we believe that a a Jewish rabbi some 2,000 years ago died and rose from the dead and did miracles and signs. Um, The more we are called haters, if we simply say this this book tells us how to live, even while we love everyone, you, you know it. Less and less do we have that home field advantage. At minimum, we can be laughed at, and, and you teenagers in the room, especially you on school campuses, if you are known as a Christian, you might be ridiculed. You know, those that are getting baptized tonight, they need our encouragement tonight, and they need our example. They need our example. They need to know that what they're doing and being obedient to this, uh, and and all of them aren't brand new Christians, but some have been Christians longer, but they, they still need our example. They need us to come along and say, the Christian life is hard because life is hard, but God is faithful. The Christian life is hard because life is hard, but God is faithful. And Jesus said, in this life, you will have persecution, but take heart, I have overcome. They need us to remind them of that and model that and tell them that. So we have the necessity of examples and we need to be examples for others. Before we get to the second point in this text, let me just read from Ephesians 4. You can just listen. Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. Listen to how Paul put it there about the body and the need for one another. Um, he, He writes that God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastor teachers, the shepherd teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's that progressive sanctification, becoming like him. So that we may no longer be like little children, tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, and by the cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Examples speak the truth in love and thus help us grow into the head who is Christ, from whom the whole soma, the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, Pastor Paul's paraphrase, when each part is an example, And and having examples, one way each part works properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There's the necessity of examples in our life and for us to be examples in one another's life. But then just briefly, the second part of this passage speaks of the necessity of the scriptures. And we actually looked at this passage at the start of the year. Um, I want to walk through it briefly once again this morning. Not only do we need to be examples and to have examples of that necessity, but, but we see here the necessity of the scriptures and they're necessary for us to come to faith, to salvation, and for us to live the way God has planned. Verses 14 and 15. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you've learned Again, how firmly you believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Here, Paul ta- calls the Bible, the Old Testament, what, what he would have called the Hebrew Scriptures, he, he calls it the sacred writings. And he's referring to our Old Testament. And he says they're able to make you wise. For salvation. Boy, we need to hear that. We love our New Testaments. So I do. Praise the Lord for the gospel accounts and then the book of Acts and all the letters. But, but the first 39 books, the Hebrew scriptures, they make us wise for salvation. They, they reveal who God is. He's holy and he's righteous and who we are. We're sinners. And, and here's the way God wants wanted Israel to live and they fell short. And once again, again and again, it's pointing that they need a savior. They need a savior. I need a savior. We need a savior. The scriptures, the holy writings, the sacred writings um, make us wise for salvation. It's amazing to think about that. Luke 24, that that account of Jesus on Resurrection Sunday with the two uh, unnamed disciples on this road to Emmaus. It says that, Jesus began with Moses and all the prophets and he interpreted to them in all the scriptures. And there it's the Old Testament for us, the things concerning himself. Just a wonderful. Verse 16, he says, again, verse you know well, all scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out or God breathed Uh, Some of your Bibles might say inspired by God. Uh, This is one of the most important statements in the Bible about the Bible. Uh, This is where we get the doctrine of the inspiration of the Bible. And again, we just need to understand uh, that word inspired, inspiration, is not the way we use it in our day. It's not like how a novel can inspire us or, or a movie or a play or a piece of music, or the Warriors can be inspiring. Um, Of course, it's basketball season, so there's no 49er comments at the moment. But, right, there are things in life that inspire us. That's not what this means. And that's why the ESV uses the literal translation, God breathed. God breathed. It, It comes from God. God used human writers... Um, over many continents and years and their personalities, they, they weren't robots, they weren't puppets, um, but he took their circumstances and their, their, you know, who they were, and yet the scriptures come from God. They're God-breathed. Um, Jesus um, spoke this way about the word of God, the Old Testament as well. He, he spoke of his own teaching, being on par with scripture and having the authority of God, John 14.10, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Um, and there's, there's more points as well. But um, again, a lot, this, is, this is huge, church. Um, take a look at the screen. Our statement of faith says this about what we believe concerning God's word and what we teach Concerning God's Word. We would call this, I think, anyway, a high view of the Bible. We believe that God has spoken in, script, in the Scriptures, both old and new, through the words of human authors. As the verbally inspired Word of God, the Bible is without error in the original writings, the complete revelation of His will for salvation, as Paul just said, to make you wise for salvation. And the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. Therefore, the scriptures are to be believed in all that uh, they teach, obeyed in all that they require, and trusted in all that they promise. That, that, that is not an inspired statement. It might be inspiring, But but that is our denomination and our church's attempt to take what the scriptures say about the Bible and say, this is what we believe. And it's a good statement, uh, a high view of scripture, um, of what what the scriptures are. Church, we hold in our hands the very words of God translated into English and um, just be amazed at that. The creator of the universe, the, the creator of this beautiful day today, he breathed out a book. He breathed out a book. This is his self-revelation. If you want to know God, start here, and He'll reveal Himself to you. Oh, how, that we would treasure and 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 um, love this book, um, and like we looked at at the beginning of the year, um, live on this book—the sacred writings, the God-breathed Scriptures—they're necessary for salvation. But notice at the end. Um, Verses 16 and 17, it says that these, these God-breathed, inspired, this, this amazing um, holy writings, they are profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. For teaching, that is, they teach us who God is, what he has done, and many things. They, for reproof, that is, they point out our error and point out, um, so we would stop. Doing wrong things. They, they correct. Um, they're, they're there to help us turn around from harmful ways, to get back in line with what God wants, and to train us in righteousness, how to grow in holiness. And then he says, 17, that the man of God, and I, I mentioned this in that sermon early in the year, um, that's a, a kind of a technical phrase. You remember he's writing to Timothy. Timothy is, is in Ephesus, Timothy is helping the churches get their elders and deacons and everything in place. He's, he's Paul's apostolic representative. And and the phrase was used in the Old Testament, man of God for someone that, that God cho- chose and, and appointed for a task. And so that's all Paul means here. And so we, we apply it by saying, okay, as sons and daughters of the king, we have been appointed for something too. We've appointed to be these examples to one another and to... to to live life together. And and so the word of God, the God breathed out, inspired, holy, sacred scriptures, they, they teach us, they reprove us, they correct us, and they train us so that we all would be complete, equipped for every good work. The necessity of the scriptures for salvation and living the life God has for us We grow together into Christ-likeness, according to Paul, according to God, by learning from the example of others and by being examples and from this book. We can't mature alone. We need to be intentional in putting people in our lives, those that, that are more mature, those that maybe are less mature, those that are at the same level into our lives and by, by putting this book into our life. That's part of chapter two. So would you stand with me and let's this morning say, God, yes, yes to be an example. God, yes to your word. Father in heaven, thank you for what your word teaches us, even about being the local church and about the need we have for other people. We are not meant to live the Christian life on our own, we need examples. we need brothers and sisters to show us what life with you looks like. We need examples, and we need to be examples, and God, we fall short, yes, we 're imperfect, but we are called to this. so God, we we want to say yes, maybe' it's, it's scary. Maybe we kind of like keeping to ourselves, but God, we want to say yes to being a part of the body and needing others and being there for others. We want to say yes also to living on your word. We talked about that at the start of this year, and so again, we say yes to living on your word once again, God. So help us do that. Thank you for the firm foundation we have in your word, and the gospel, and it's to that we commit ourselves in Jesus' name.